Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And um, with me today, Dr. Amy Mednick. What a fantastic name. What a name to conjure with. I is it okay if I call you Amy or do, yeah, I, do I have to be, is that okay? No, Amy's Fantastic. good. Great. Well, it's a, a joy to talk to you today and um, just tell us a bit about yourself. Where in the world are you? Let's start sure. there. Yes, it's a joy to be here. I am in New York City. <gasps> um. Yep. And um, kind of tell you my story, how I got here. Go on. Okay. So, um, well, I've always been here. So I grew up in New Jersey school in Boston, school in New York. I, I kind of never really leave the East Coast of the United States. Yeah. Um, good place to be. So um yeah, I went to I went to college up in MIT in Boston and um I studied brain and cognitive sciences. So that's kind of where I sort of developed a real fascination, passion with everything, everything brain. Um then I went to medical school because why not? It was something to do. Um you wanted more debt. Yes, exactly. I was collecting. So um, I went to medical school, not really knowing what I was going to do, knowing I liked the brain, maybe I'd be a neurologist, um, kind of fell into psychiatry unexpectedly, um, never really intended for it or or knew much about it, but fell in love with it about halfway through the, the clinical rotation. So decided to become a psychiatrist. Um, stayed so I, I did med school in new york i stayed in new york i did train uh, psychiatry training there um and for a while i i was a i pract i am a practicing psychiatrist um mostly focusing on medication versus you know uh, psychotherapy which some psychiatrists dabble in that as well um i love i love doing that i find you know over many years of doing that um kind of develops into like an art psychopharmacology um, cause when you really talk to people and listen to people, like I, I feel like that has been my biggest education in how the brain works, just like seeing how each person's brain works and, you know, giving a little bit of medication and seeing what kind of symptoms we can, we can quiet down so they can kind of become their best selves and, and do, you know, fine tuning that way. So I really, I love that. Um, but then I wanted more. So I, I wanted more to offer my patients because medications are amazing, but sometimes, they're just not enough. So then um, in the last few years, I've also gotten involved with transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is um, 
TMS, which is uh, a big machine that uses uh, magnets to create electrical fields to uh, intervene on, on the brain that way. So very top down compared to what I had been doing. Um, really exciting, really like high success rate, low side effect kind of a thing. So I've, I've been really getting into that and very excited about that. So right, that was 2019. So right when I got up and running this, you know, very hands-on in-person office-based treatment, um, that's right about when COVID hit and New York shut down and I shut down my office. Um, I since have gotten it back up and running, but yeah, in 2020 went online, um, which is psychiatry does lend itself well to. So that was, yeah. that was lucky for me. Um, and I started doing all, all of my work online, seeing all my patients online. Um, I do some teaching, do my teaching online and everything um, like everyone else. Um, and then a colleague of mine um, invited me to write a book that she had an idea for um, about the remote experience. We started it in the end of 2020. So we didn't really know, like we didn't know any of the answers. So it was really a, a process of writing this book to try to figure it out, um, to figure out how to make, you know, what's wrong with the remote experience why does it make us um, exhausted and why do we have trouble focusing and why do we, you know, feel what we feel socially? So we just, we spent a year writing it and living it at the same time and like trying to figure out what we were doing and why we were feeling horrible and trying to practice what we preach sometimes. Um, and, um, and yeah, so then we, we finished that um, this year and now I'm back to doing the things I was doing mostly before COVID. Um, still a lot online though. Right. Oh, well, you've got right. Okay. But so we need about three hours to unpack all of that. But um, <laughs> let's not start. First of all, I just want to point out to my audience. I've seen you drinking water out of a jam jar. So oh, yes. that, you know, you're either hyper trendy or you're really into gardening. <laughs> I just um I guess I'm trendy. I, I, I like to hear. It's a good glass. Good, good. I feel like in, in the presence, not only of a psychiatrist, but a trendy psychiatrist. So, oh boy. You know, we are blessed <laughs> today. All right, let's start. Let's start with a few things. Yeah. Um, obviously, people talk about the brain. People are fascinated by it, all that sort of stuff. Um, what we know about it now is amazing. You've got people like David Eagleman popularizing, popularizing mm. I can't say it, the word popularizing, popularizing yep. what's going on. I think I might need to edit that bit. Um, where do you see where do you see brain science moving over the course of the next few years? What, what do you think is the next uncharted territory that we're going to be exploring? Well, it's not exactly uncharted, but what I'm seeing the the movement that I'm seeing within my field, um, especially um, especially with TMS, because we can we can like see so much more. We can you know we can kind of do you know activate areas and see what happens and brain science used to be very much um here's where that happens there's one part of the brain and that's where it happens and we that's all the only way we had to learn things because someone you know had a stroke and got that part knocked out and suddenly couldn't recognize faces and then we said oh that's where faces are you know simple um i think now we're learning it's not that simple um like most things um, and it's really what they're finding is it's very 
um, brain science is very network based. There's not one thing. It's a lot of, of communication between different areas and feedback loops. And, um, and that's great because networks are something we can really intervene on and, and all of, you know, and, and what I do and in therapy, like we can, we can get to one node in that network and, and, and help it get healthier and we can, we can improve the whole thing. But, um, just learning, just hearing really fascinating things about these different other, other networks that they're finding and how interconnected everything is. Yes. Um, that's where it's going, I think. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So yeah. actually more complexity. Yep. Not, not fewer amounts. Oh, no. Okay. Right, okay. So basically it's having massive systems. So you t- you're really taking it away into a sort of an engineering field in a strange sort of way. Really? Yeah. When you, when you see some of these people lecture with these huge diagrams and like, you know, big, big nodal networks for for each each task and each thing that we know it's very it's it's very engineering yeah yeah and it's fascinating is because it's a it's it's one of the it's really one of the biggest and most exciting career growth areas isn't it is actually the brain um because because there's so much unexplored un, 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 unexplored areas really it's uh i mean it's, you're just using the next iteration of a, a mechanical process but you haven't discovered things like soul yet, for example. Mm-hmm. I know a, people, a lot mm-hmm. of people bang on about that. Where, mm-hmm. where are we on figuring out where the soul exists? Or uh, self-awareness? We're not, um, we're not there yet. I, but but um, a lot of the there's a lot of interesting research in um in meditation that I think is is pointing us in interesting directions towards mm-hmm. like where where the like me I think we have kind of found where the me is where the self thinking is um and kind of what happens to that when we meditate well is interesting I'm quite I'm quite astonished you you're you're pulling the meditation card out of your bag um, oh yeah don't Something I, uh, well, tell me tell me more so <laughs> so what, what's going on I mean, I hear I hear people from the woo-woo to the scientific talk about meditation as being something pretty special, but it's for to me the neuroscientist who's, oh, who's yeah. coming out. So, so what's the evidence that meditation's got any um, practical use? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's definitely been, I think, pretty much proven how important meditation is for for brain health, um, and and what it does and what it strengthens. Um, the, this the study that I'm referring to that I always find so interesting is um, what they found is that when you when you so when you just are doing nothing so they only recently started to scan people's brains when they're doing nothing right they always put people in the scanner and said like do this do that yeah. you know think of your mother's face whatever and they and they scan to see what's going on but in the last few decades some clever scientists thought to say now let's tell them to do nothing. Like, okay, in between tasks, just chill. We'll be right back. We'll be right with you. And let's yeah. see what their brain's doing then. And that's got really interesting. And that's one of these networks I mentioned. They found that when you're doing nothing, there's this whole other thing that turns on that called the default mode network. So it's yeah. like the opposite of your paying attention network. It's your default mode network. And that network is most of the time um, busy thinking about ourselves it's ourselves and other people like it it, we kind of go right to to being social to thinking socially um so they found this part like top middle of your brain the medial prefrontal cortex which seems to kind of be the seat of, of a lot of these like really me thoughts and like 
you know, not to be selfish, but just like thinking about yourself and your place in the world and all of that. And when you put a novice in an MRI machine and tell them to meditate, their their medial prefrontal cortex is pretty active because, you know, it's that's the chatter. That's what people are talking about when yeah. they can't they can't quite lock in to meditate. But when you put a an experienced meditator in an MRI, I don't know if it's zero activity, but it's much lower in the in the medial prefrontal cortex. And there's this whole other part of the brain that's active instead. So it's kind of like um, scientific proof of what we know should happen in meditation, where that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to turn off the chatter, turn off the me thoughts and come out of that and, and like kind of, I don't know, see things from a different angle from not in that, in that like me, me, me chatter. So it actually happens. Like so, they've, so this they've shown is, it happen. So they're interesting. Exactly the point, please point out. This is, this is, this is the place where people experience hypnosis and the transgression into hypnotherapy and such like. I assume so. I don't know the, I don't know the data on it, but I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Sorry. I mean, you and I can dip around lots of little, little different yeah. subjects. So it's absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen the evidence of hypnotherapy. So it, the trouble with meditation is that I'm fascinated to hear that. I'm going to read a bit more about that because a lot of the original um, meditative um, um, research is actually quite flaky mm. and very small samples and, you know, quite almost a lot of sponsored research. And I always think that's a bit dodgy. We have to watch that. Watch out for that. Problem I think. That. I think since then they start, well, MRIs yeah. come around. So everything course, changes yeah. a bit when you can actually watch the brain. And then you put, I think they've put like monks in MRIs, you know, like monks who can actually lower their body temperature with yeah. meditation. And that's, I think that's when it's really started to be yeah. pretty black and white proof that like, yep, this, there are very specific things happening in these brains when it's done right. And, and, and just for a point of clarity here, and uh, feel free to completely disagree with me. Um, this is the opposite of mindfulness, yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a professional in this, so I kind of, I kind of conflate meditation and mindfulness. But I think they're opposite things. But I mean, if you're if you're practicing mindfulness, you are you are not sitting in your in your medial prefrontal cortex. You're not thinking about you. You're sitting off to the side and just like letting things pass, right? So I think it's. The same thing, no? No, oh, interesting. I, I'll um, um interesting. I I'm going to read more about some other things there before I engage in that with you. Right. The thing is, in our world, psychiatrists are not to be reckoned with. So, um, for oh, the first, wow. people well. listening to me once and wondering why I'm being respectful. So normally I would have had a row with you by now, but uh, you know, you know, I'm being well behaved today. Oh, I appreciate um, that. So talk about um talk about a little about the pharmacology because are, are you talking about um have you engaged something with with the sort of um uh the psychedelics and these sort of minute sampling things have you or are you looking at the more traditional side of psychiatry with um yeah i'm actually talking i'm i'm talking traditional i'm interested in the psychedelics um i haven't i haven't gotten into that yet but i think there's a lot of um a lot of promise there um but no i just mean like very classic you know ssris um I'm very interested in anxiety and depression um, and attention is, is a big focus of mine, pun intended, and it comes up in the book a lot too. Um, but with each of these things, we have 
sometimes great medicines that are great fits for people. And so if you, when it's done just right, you can, you can really, you can see, like, you can see these things just really be turned off and, and, you know, these, these negative symptoms and, and, you know, have people, I talk to people a lot. I engage my patients a lot about what that experience is actually like. So they, you know, describe what, what is this feeling in their head? And then we, we change it and they can kind of describe the change as well and describe what happens when we turn it off. And that's the stuff that I find fascinating. Um, But but this is very different from the, the medicalized, um, over-medicalized use of drugs in some places. I mean, I might look at our own country where we say, People go with any any sort of symptom that seems to the doctors, and they end up with SSRIs, and it's a standard dose. And then I'll meet them sometimes on the therapeutic side after about fifteen or sixteen months, if not up to four or five years, on the same dose with no review. And I think what you're saying is that's not the desired way of handling. Because mm-hmm. the point the point of having the drugs is to is it to well, let me ask a question: Is the point of having the drugs to stabilize in order to to allow other things to be carried out, or do you use a totally drugs um, regime to help the person re-establish equilibrium? I I think of course there's a there's a range there's a spectrum and it also depends on the disorder because things like depression depressions of brain disease needs to be treated as well as possible and needs to be turned off. But anxiety is something I find really interesting. Anxiety and trauma. I feel like both of those disorders really straddle the like um, chemical responsive to medicine versus like environmental situational responsive to therapy. And, and with both of those, I think that, yeah, you, you have symptoms, Right. And you can take an SSRI and turn everything off. And that's, I don't want that. And I don't want that for my patients. And that's what people mean when they say, oh, it turns you into a zombie. You don't feel anything. What I have found is if you're precise about it, there's a wide, actually a wide range of doses for all of these. Right. And sometimes, sometimes a little bit, you know, does a lot or just, there's just a little bit that's that's interfering with functioning and we just quiet that noise we like turn down the volume on that extraneous stuff that's your anxiety talking that's your trauma talking that's not yeah. that's not serving you and what i find is that opposite of of being becoming zombies people tend to feel like they have more access to themselves to their minds to their creativity because we're really kind of t- like turning down this like fight or flight response that yeah. shouldn't be going and is, and then they can engage better in therapy and, and yeah. life and do more things. And, you know, especially with trauma, like it's not always safe to go into those parts of your brain. Your brain won't even let you go into those parts sometimes before you kind of build this scaffolding with a little bit of medicine, do the work, break the things down, build them back up. And then you might not even need the medicine anymore, yeah. but I think I mean, they have that's a, the that's the that's a classic approach isn't it and, and that that sort of uh, sort of symbiotic approach to um the therapy and the sort of medicine yeah, that's so so if you so if you're talking to people i mean and they haven't had a review uh, i mean what what should they be doing should they should they go back and see the doctors I mean, after how long should uh well, I know it's, it's impossible to say because every case is different. But for example, if they've been on the same dose for six months and they've not had any change or whatever, how, how often should they go back and talk about this? I mean, for for me, for my patients, I I my max time to see to see someone is six months, and usually it's 
average is like, come see me every three months. But, you know, if you're taking, if you're taking medicine to help you feel better, that's, that's great. Um, it shouldn't be making you feel worse. So if it is, um, it's definitely, then it's worth a review, you know, yes, these things have side effects, but they're not, it's not like one or the other. It's not like, Oh, you can be, live a happy life as long as you just completely, you know, renounce your sex drive. Um, so, you know, side effects don't have to be like that. And then if, if you're, if your life has changed a ton and you've done a tremendous work in therapy and, you know, things are different than when you started the medicine, then yeah, it's probably also worth reviewing. Interesting. But that doesn't um, mean everyone should go, you know, there's no right answer. Like some people stay yeah. on them for, for their life because it really helps them be their best self. And that, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There's a healthy sort of debate to be had about um, the whole medic mm -hmm. over medicalizing of the, the condition without the other side of it, I think. Um, and I think attitudes have changed very much towards this. Um, so, so, so then you start, you, start, you, you, you add another string to your bone. I, I like the casual way you said someone approached me, and so I wrote a book. I mean, <laughs> there's many of us who have not written seven or eight books who um, who admire that expert. I'm just saying, well, I, I just cranked a book out when I was, um, so, you know, between doing my nails. Sure. That's very impressive. I think Thank there's you. Probably, I, a bit, probably a bit more work to it than that. But, it, um, yes, it was one of the hardest things I ever did, but yeah. I also, I did it. So, yes. So, so who's this book written for? Um, so, you know, by subtitle, it's for leaders and coaches. So the, the you know, original target audience is, is that people who are leading organizations or who, who are doing coaching. Um, but it's really, it's really anyone who's, who's working, who's doing anything online. So working, school, socialization, anything that you're doing online, talking to other human beings when they are only a face on a screen um, is not natural and not what we're built to do. So if we're going to do it anyway, it's going to have effects on us and on our brains. And so anyone who is needs to just think about that and, you know, assess and make sure that um, it's serving them well. And, and what are we going to be reading? Is this a sort of a, a sort of a pot boiler sort of self help book, or is this a a big sort of weighty academic tome? What, what um, somewhere in the middle. So we it's it's broken up into two parts, um, and the first part is really focused on the why, um, kind of the stuff I'm really interested in, the brain stuff. Um, why is it harder? Why are things harder in remote? What is it doing to our brain? What are the, you know, what are the symptoms that are coming up and why are they happening? And then the second part is what to do. So the second part is lots of strategies, um, you know, things that have, have, that we kind of compiled and that have come up um, all over and that won't be unfamiliar to people, but really specifically applied to the why, you know, these will work because of science, you know, like these are, not just go do this, not just go do self-care, but like, here's why it should work for you. And here's why you, why you need it. So that's mm -hmm. how we organized it. So can you give me, can you give me an example of something that might, that, um, that someone could engage with? It? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's, so first of all, we, the whole book is organized into um, kind of through the lens of three basic needs that we have um, as social creatures Um and, and everything's put into that context. So for example, one of the three needs is, um, is the, 
we have a need to understand, right? We have a need to understand the world and other people. Um, and if we, if we don't meet that need, we kind of feel not so great. Um, and we, 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 we place these needs just like hunger, right? So if you have a, you have a need for food, if it's not met, your body tells you I'm hungry. So if you have this need for understanding people and it's not met, what does your body tell you? And, and, and what's the warning sign that it's not being met? Um, so what I kind of identified as the warning sign for when your need to understand is not being met is, um, is that's where the exhaustion and the fatigue, uh, comes from and the zoom fatigue and all whatever other words we're using for spending a day online and feeling just totally drained, even though you never left your house or did anything especially hard. Um, and the jump and how we get from that name to that, to that sign is this, um, understanding people is extremely hard and complicated and like extremely energy intensive. Right. So everything is everything that we do engaging in the world is extremely energy intensive. Your brain uses a fifth of all of the energy that your body produces in a day goes to your brain. Like that's come on. That's a lot. That's disproportionate to like these, these muscles that are actually like moving us through, through space. So if, if you had to, your brain has to be energy efficient. Otherwise, like getting up in the morning, walking to the kitchen, deciding what to have for breakfast and making it would be, that'd be it. You'd have to go back to bed. You know, that takes so much. So, so because of that, through evolution, we have a lot of, um, shortcuts with, with a lot of things, but especially with understanding people where the, where the brain has come up with ways to make it energy efficient, not have to figure out a person every single time and not have to like, you know, do the calculations every single time, take shortcuts. It's really important. It's what, it's what lets us get through a day. And the problem with zoom or whatever medium is, um, they don't work. They weren't designed for this kind of talking. They weren't designed for this kind of, you know, socialization and communication. So one, on the one hand, we have a lot of stuff that, that is just lost that we don't have like direct eye contact, right? Eye contact's weird. Am I, where am I, if I give you my direct eye contact, I'm looking at my camera. I'm not looking at you. We know eye contact is just kind of that whole signal is, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that whole signal is lost. And then even worse um, is the stuff that's distorted so that we still use, but it's not working right. So we're actually getting the wrong information. Um, so a good example of that was a nice study that was done on, on a sound delay in, in video conferencing less than 1.2 seconds, no problem. But if there was a sound delay of more than 1.2 seconds, they found that people automatically attributed it to the speaker you know, subconsciously even to the speaker, not the technology and automatically thought the speaker was like less conscientious and extroverted, like made judgments immediately about the speaker because we, you know, we know pauses, right? Pauses mean something to us. We've been like working with pauses our entire lives. That's what we've developed around. You just throw in these new things and we kind of, oh, it's fine. We'll just keep, you know, keep going, just do our, carry on the same way. But um, it doesn't it doesn't quite work. And then the the end point of all of that is we're doing it anyway. And it's a lot of work either to fix those distortions and, you know, work around the mistakes that you made or because 
of everything that's lost that you're working harder and harder to to communicate anyway without you know body language and space and all those things um so it's ex it's exhausting because you you were literally working harder over the course of the day so we kind of use that warning sign if you're if you're especially exhausted at the end of the day um your brain is working too hard so what's the remedy for that well there's a few um one is to make it less work in in every way that you can first of all so it's we're going to do this anyway right it's it's staying for for a lot of people um so if you're if you're going to do it anyway be be mindful of the fact that your brain is doing more work and give it less work to do so um self you is a lot of work for your brain. You are not used to, you're not supposed to look at yourself all day long, right? You, you When we weren't online, did we have a mirror propped up in, on our desks? Did everyone have a, did most of us have? Um, did now, the Peter Shallard person... would argue with you here because he would say that actually um, he used to put a mirror upon his desk and have it looking at him for um, the avoidance of procrastination and all that sort of stuff. Okay, good. So there's there might be a role there's for it, but did he do it in a meeting? But, but I take your point. It's 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 it's, it's a particularly that, narcissistic that thing, isn't it? <laughs> but would he do it when he was meeting with someone? Would he have someone sitting right next to him with a mirror between the two of them? I don't think so. Um, it's an interesting it's, idea. <laughs> but we don't. We you know we glance at the mirror in the morning. We glance when we go to the bathroom, but we're not we're not looking at our our faces all day. And it's actually it has been studied and found to be more work to do the self because you can't avoid it either if your face mm -hmm. is there you're going to look at it that's yeah. natural so you're doing some like self-evaluation you're you're thinking about how you look exactly and then just the presence of your face is weird for your brain so your brain is like doing a little bit of extra back there because it's not supposed to look at itself all the time so, so should we have our cameras off then yeah no no selfie off so you ah that's so weird you're not there <laughs> right it's we like it um, and it's great to, you, you log on, you check yourself, you make sure there's nothing weird in your background, you know, you're centered, then you could, you put on your fake background. So you're all, you don't even need to check. Not fake. Come on. And, that's, that's, <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're, you're, you open your window, you show your picture, your picture this window, your beautiful beach scene. Yes. I'm sorry. It's beautiful. And then you turn off your self view, not your camera, your self view. Um, it's hard to get used to, but for people who are doing zoom meetings all day long, it's, it's a good one. And it's important. Um, chat, you know, chat is helpful and, and people like having something else going on. People like having a lot else going on. Mm. Um, you know, you're on your computer, so you can have a million windows open. You can answer a text during a meeting and no one, it won't be as obvious as in a regular meeting, but multitasking, which, you know, yeah, studies have shown is bad and is not true it's it's a myth you can't multi you cannot do two things at once you are switching from one thing That's to right. another so That's all right. of these things are just you're adding and adding and adding so keeping in mind that it's already hard let's stop adding more and more to it um sometimes also can consider the phone um for some meetings you know some right. meetings audio only is better That's we better. don't we're all like a little like shy about the phone now. Yeah, even better. Um, there's there's benefits obviously to video conference 
conferencing and it's good and we get more information, right? I can, we get in from, we're, we're getting more information doing this when I can see you than not, but you know, like we're learning more information is not always better because I have to do stuff with it, you know? So some call, some, some call, some interactions consider whether it's an, it would be nice to have a phone call and have to just, you know, hear the intonations and read into the voice. And, um, sometimes that, that can be a good way to give your brain a break over the course of the day. Um, and then for people who are leading meetings, you know, um, just make things straightforward. Like everything's already too much work and, um, you know, interactions are ambiguous. So leaders can kind of really think about like, no, you know, subtract any ambiguity that they can make things clear, make agendas clear, make goals clear um, on this medium when and not, not have meetings not at all, is. or, or make it an email. Amounts of meetings, yeah, yes. exactly. Yes, I think I think one of the things I've seen in the business world on the in the hybrid world is we've taken very inefficient, largely pointless meetings, which were you know in rooms with lots of people, and we just put them online, and no one's really recast the idea of a meeting and what it's for and how it works and whether we need people to come together anymore. Mm-hmm. It's actually, maybe we should be using the dynamism of Zoom completely differently. I mean, let's be honest, it has its compensations. I mean, we've used it for dating for a long time. So that obviously has a purpose. It obviously builds a, a, a form of intimacy that um, we, we, we're not thinking about when we're working together. Yeah. You're much, I mean, the size of my face and yours would imply if we were in a room together, we'd be about, you know, six inches apart from each other. Mm-hmm. I can see all your micro expressions. You can see mine. You know, we, we, I actually think, um, the problem here is that we see too much, not too little. And a lot of people say, oh, no, well, I can't see your knees and therefore, you know, I'm not getting enough information, but we're being drowned in the information that we normally just don't see that much. Yes, totally. There's in some, in some ways it's too much In other ways we're, we're missing stuff. It's all kind of mishmashed and that's why it, it takes, it takes a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's very beneficial. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. And in the book, we spend a whole chapter on like why technology is great. Agreed. Technology is great. And the, the main paradox that we talk about is we are more connected than ever before everything's at our fingertips, everyone's at our fingertips. So why do we not feel more connected than ever? Why do we yeah. sometimes kind of feel disconnected? Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So, so it sounds now I, I always, um, I always like to pop online and have a look and see what, um, where to find this. And I can see you've got it in Amazon, which mm-hmm. is great. And um, which is super. And I, and I can see that it cost me, 13 13 uh, quite a lot of money to get this book i mean how massive is it is it got, has oh, it got a lot of pages that's the the you're looking at the hardcover yeah that's just the hardcover there's a the the paperback is is reasonably priced as i believe is the ebook good excellent <laughs> <laughs> see and you now can we look know, through the now we know why psychiatrists are wealthy <laughs> We haven't sold a lot of hardcovers yet, but the paperbacks are flying off the shelves. Um, if you, if maybe it's a, a, a country thing, but the um, also the publisher's website, Rutledge, they might have more paperbacks. I'm not sure. No, it's great. Well, look, um, it's absolutely fascinating. And it sounds, um, I'm looking forward to my free copy winging its way. I'm, I'm expecting a, the postman to arrive with a wheelbarrow. It's an enormous book. 
it's not it's not very enormous um no i'm joking only this big so basically we can find it on um all the amazons and all good Uh books but you haven't actually said what it's called oh let me tell you it's called humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching strategies for better virtual connections right so you see, it sound it doesn't sound like a pop boilery self help book because they would have like a single word, you know, like uh, hybridization. Yeah, yeah, it's none of, of that. It's You're very, not, not it's doing very any of that wizzy based. stuff. This, this is a proper scientist talk, talking and mm-hmm. from a from a lofty height, yet approachable. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Good. All right, then. So um, brilliant. So um, if people would like to find out more about you, Amy, where would they do that? Um, they can go to my website. It is dramymednick.com, D-R-A-M-Y-M-E-D-N-I-C-K.com. Um, you can find more about me, more about the book there. And what sort of what sort of patients find you? Um, these are people with anxiety, depression, or or, or which other sorts of um... yeah, uh, anxiety, depression um, is is pretty much my focus right now. Um, especially with this the this new technology is mostly a, an anxiety and depression treatment. So that's that's been my focus in the last couple of years. So anybody interested in TMS is going to beat a path to your door. Mm-hmm. But but only in New York, obviously. I'm thinking. Yeah, it's not that. That's that's not a remote experience. You haven't got a portable kit yet. Not, not? yet. I thought there was talk of a portable TMS um, technology. Has that not happened? Um, there's there's similar things like T um that are at home. They're not quite as powerful, but there there are similarly like harnessing these these electrical therapies to uh to do it at home right. at a lower scale. Well, I'm planning on being in New York quite soon, so I'm, oh. I'm going to hop in and awesome. um, <laughs> appear for a free session. Perfect. I'm pleased. I'm pleased you agreed to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joke, joking aside. So you were talking about um, need to understand. I'm guessing you're not using the sort of uh, Maslow sort of idea of needs. You're obviously um, thinking about this from a more scientific perspective, are you? It, it it is both because it's no it is it is very similar to to maslow it's um it it is these basic needs so the i mean the first one which i didn't mention is the the need to feel safe and secure right. which is his the bottom of his of his pyramid um and kind of how how that requires the presence of other people being around for a human and are we missing that when we're together on a screen but not in person um, and then the, the last one is the need to, for belonging and for feeling a part of things. Um, and, you know, when, when we're missing out from that, when we're kind of feeling lost in a Zoom group. So that does kind of track with near the top of his pyramid. So we have our own little pyramid that we work up, but it, mm. it parallels that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I'm all disappointed now. Never, never mind. I'm not a fan of Maslow. So we'll see. Oh, sorry. But yours is better. It's different. It's similar but different. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, Thanks. great. All right, brilliant. So, um, I'm, I'm just, I just one more time for the listening public: humanizing the remote experience through leadership and coaching strategies for better virtual connections. And um, Dr. Amy Mednack has been my guest today, um, and it's been a delight. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and Thank uh, you. you've been an absolute superstar. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You take care. Hi everybody, I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. 
Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.